In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Welcome to church this morning. It's loud. Amen. Just want you to speak to your neighbor. Say, welcome to church. Welcome to class this morning. Welcome to school this morning. Hallelujah. Welcome to school. Church is a school where we learn the word of God. And by the grace of God today, we're going to learn the word of God. Hallelujah. You know, I saw a post, I think yesterday on social media, one of the pastors I followed, he said, the Bible school of today used to be the normal Sunday service of the early church. Hallelujah. That the church is a place where they learn the word of God, you know, so much. They give credence to learning the scriptures. And it's unfortunate that in our season, in our generation, the diligence, study, and the teaching of God's words have lost its value. And church has generated into uh, a center where so much of entertainment, so much of, you know, things that are not the, the major, that shouldn't be measured. I trust that God will help us as a church that will remain faithful to his word. And even today, we're going to give so much study to God's word. And I want you to be alert. You know, be your brother's keeper, be your sister's keeper. Whenever you see your brother trying to sleep, tap him, tap her. Amen. And I want to encourage you to write, take notes, you know, and I trust that God will speak to us and we will learn a lot in Jesus' name. So for those that are new to church today, in the church we've been discussing, or we have a theme for this year, life in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And then we have our key scriptures from Romans 8 verse 14, Galatians 5 verse 16. These are the scriptures from which we are anchoring this theme for the year. And then today I'm going to begin a teaching. I don't know whether I can end it next week or week after next, but I'm going to be you know, unraveling an issue with us. But today is just to lay a foundation. And I trust that as we lay this foundation, which is very critical, is very important, not only for the teaching that we're going to have this week, but also for the rest of our, our lives as believers. It's very key that we understand this truth because the understanding of this truth that we share with us today you know, will really, really impact our understanding of scriptures. Hallelujah. So I'll be teaching on setting the mind on the things of the spirit. Setting the mind on the things of the spirit. You know, we read earlier on from Romans chapter, uh, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. You know, you can give me that scripture again. Romans, uh, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1. Colossians 3 verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. Which means that, you know, it's our own call toward to seek. We have a responsibility to seek the things which are above. Verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. So if the mind is yours, if truly you are in charge of your mind, if you're not insane, hallelujah. You know, there are people that they, are, they don't have the ability to, they are not in charge of their minds. Or sometimes if you take alcohol, you may not be in charge of your mind. If you give into any substance that controls your behavior, you may not necessarily be 
in charge of your mind. That is why the, the Bible will teach us to, to, to not be drunk with wine, right? But we rather be drunk by the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Which will lead to praise, which will lead to, you know, worship to God. So if the mind is your mind, you know, the calling is that we set the mind on the things that are above. Hallelujah. And also Romans, you know, chapter 8, verse 1 to 8. Give me Romans chapter 1, chapter 8, verse 1 to 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that which in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is in enmity against God. For it, it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Verse 8. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Hallelujah. So to walk in the flesh, to walk in the spirit rather, we must constantly set our minds on the things of the spirit. Amen. It is impossible for you to walk in the spirit as God is calling us in this season. And then our minds are wandering off to other stuff. Last week there was a very uh, pictorial example that was given to us here of, you know, our life. I remember when pastor was making the illustration, you know, he demonstrated to us the life that we used to live under the bondage of sin. And when we heard the gospel, the gospel comes with deliverance. It liberates us. It breaks every chain of sin. The power of sin, the, the, the power of Satan, the power of, 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 of the world. Hallelujah. We no longer are under the control of the things of the world. We are no longer under the control of Satan. We are no longer under the control of the spirit of Satan. Then we come into fellowship with God. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit comes into us and he becomes a seal in us, in our hearts. And our responsibility is to follow his leading. So for us to walk in this continuous relationship with the Holy Spirit, we must set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We must set our hearts on the things that the Spirit is leading us. Most importantly in the word of God. Hallelujah. But there's a possibility for the believer in Christ to set his affection elsewhere from where we used to be. Our mind could be fixed on worldly things. But God intends that we walk in the spirit. And if we must walk in the spirit, our minds are, our minds are very crucial in helping us to walk in the spirit. Hallelujah. Now there are three important things to note in Romans 8, verse 5 to 8. The flesh, the mind, and the spirit. The flesh, the mind, and the spirit. I may not go into details to talk about these three things. But let me just mention them as we pass through. Now, the believer is not in the flesh. Hallelujah. A man that is born again is not under the influence of the flesh. Now, in some translations, we'll, define the, we'll explain the flesh as the carnal nature, the sinful nature. That nature that does not submit to God. 
That nature that is rebellious to God. That nature that does not believe in God. Hallelujah. But we are not in the flesh. The, the, this reality of the believer is not in the flesh. The believer lives in the spirit. The address of the believer is in the spirit. So, Colossians chapter 1 verse 1 and 2, 3 verse 1 and 2 mention things that are above. Things where Christ is and also where the believer is. Hallelujah. That we should set our minds on the things that are above, not things that are earthly, things that are kind of, things that are physical, but things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We live on the, in this world, but we should not be under the influence and the control of the things of the world because we are controlled and we are led by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Now, the believer is to set his mind on these things that are above. As I said earlier on, if your mind belongs to you, then you have the capability to set it on the things that are above. You have an absolute right and the ability to set your minds on either what is earthly or the things which are above. So it's therefore very important for us to study scriptures and understand what the mind is. Amen? What is the mind and what is the spirit? Hallelujah. How can we be in charge of our minds? How can we, you know, set our minds, our affections and, 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 and all that we are on the things of the spirit? Now, I want to digress a little bit and teach us how to understand the scriptures. Hallelujah. Because we're going to study the scriptures to understand how we can set our mind on the things of the spirit. But then let us just digress a little bit and talk about how to understand the Bible. Because understanding the Bible is very, very important for us in the study that we'll be doing in these few weeks. Now, the true context of the Bible is to read it from the book of Genesis to where? To Revelation. Hallelujah. You know, oftentimes we speak here, we say, see, the Bible was not written in verses. Amen? So, if you take a verse of the Bible and you run with it, you can easily be in error if you don't look at the entire context of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And it will be unfair for you to establish a doctrine on a verse, on a chapter, on a book in the Bible. But rather, the entire context of the Bible must put into perspective. So, the, five, the first five books written by Moses, which are the books written by Moses? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers are actually the context or the origin and the background of all the remaining part of the scriptures. You know, some people will say, oh, you know, the Old Testament is not for me. I'm a new creation believer. So, you know, the Old Testament is not for us. The New Testament is what we should obey. That is the wrong understanding of the Bible. You cannot understand the New Testament because you neglect or you forfeit the Old Testament scriptures. Actually, the New Testament scriptures is an explanation of the Old Testament text. So, of which, what, what explanation are you reading if you are forgetting, if you neglect the main story? Hallelujah. So, it is important that we have a grips on the entire context of the scriptures if we must have a balanced understanding of the Bible. Now, everything taught must have its foundation from the Old Testament. Hallelujah. Every doctrine, either given, either 
as we're talking about the spirit, life in the Holy Spirit, right? You may say, oh, you know, the spirit is a New Testament reality. And you are partly right. But every Christian doctrine must have its foundation from the Old Testament. Without which, you know, it will not be, you know, sound. The beginning of every subject in the Bible begins in Genesis. These are two different statements I made. I said every Christian teaching must have its foundation from the Old Testament. And every teaching actually must always as well begins in Genesis. The book of Genesis is not just a scientific book to give us an explanation of how the world was created. In fact, if we treat the book of Genesis as a scientific book to prove creation, to prove geography, to prove history, you can easily be wrong. Hallelujah. Because that was not the intent of the book. That was not the intent of the book. It is an account of God's promise of salvation to mankind. That is the essence of the Bible. It's the account of God's promise, Genesis to be precise. The apostles wrote the New Testament scriptures from the knowledge they had of the Old Testament. Hallelujah. Everything we see in the New Testament is a product of an understanding they had of the Old Testament scriptures. So if you will better comprehend and apply the truth in the Bible, you must also study what they studied and look at their explanations and look at their applications and then you will have a meaning to the scriptures. They wrote, you know, what they wrote is actually the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, promise, covenant that God made. Hallelujah. For example, now, let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 1, one of the first book in the New Testament. Let's just go. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. You see where the background is from the Old Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Right? The son of who? The son of David. Where is David found in the Bible? From the Old Testament. Hallelujah. The son of who? Abraham. Where is Abraham found in the Bible? The Old Testament, right? Abraham begot Isaac, Old Testament characters. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. And on and on we'll see that the background of the New Testament, particularly Matthew, is where from the Old Testament. So it's therefore necessary to study the Old Testament scriptures. Hallelujah. What about Mark chapter 1, verse 1 to 3? Mark chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the what? In the prophets. What do we mean by the prophets? The prophets refers to all the books written by the prophets in the Old Testament. So the background of the book of Mark, the writer of the book of Mark, wrote the book of Mark with an understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. Behold, I send my messenger. This was from Isaiah, I think, right? Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare you your way before you. Verse 3. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. This is coming from where? From the Old Testament. Luke chapter 1 verse 4. Luke chapter 1 verse 1 to 4. Luke chapter 1 verse 1 to 4. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. Now what has been fulfilled? The prophecies and the promises that was made in the Old Testament scriptures. So Paul, uh, uh, the writer of the book of Luke rather here, 
is giving an account of what has been accomplished, the, the practical or the, the practical manifestation of the promises that God, the promise rather, let me use the word promise here. There's one promise, hallelujah, of the promise that God made in the Old Testament. Verse 2, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to, the, to us. Verse 3, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. Hallelujah. Now, from the very first, is very, very important. He says to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Verse 4, that you may know certainly of these, of those things in which you were instructed. Hallelujah. So the background is where? It's the Old Testament scriptures. So the book of Genesis as well is the beginning of all things. Hallelujah. Genesis is what? Is the beginning of all things. The beginning of all things. The proper understanding of the first three chapters of Genesis will lead to a proper understanding of the rest of scripture. Hallelujah. If you don't understand the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, I can guarantee that you will have a wrong understanding of the entire Bible. Hallelujah. I think in publication, there's something they used to do. They used to give abstract, right? Or introduction. If you don't read the abstract, don't read the introduction, will you understand the content of the paper? Will you have a proper understanding of what was written by the writer? So therefore, it is necessary that, you know, as believers, we study the book of Genesis. Hallelujah. You know, when I was quite younger, as a believer, you know, the first book I was encouraged to read was the first, was the book of John. You know, read the book of John and then you, your life will be blessed. And it's, it's accurate. Even till today, I encourage people to start from the book of John. But ideally, a believer must understand what was written from the beginning. Hallelujah. Now, also, there are some fundamental truths, some fundamental things that must be understood in order for us to understand the book of Genesis. Now, I'm very intentional. I'm moving towards a direction. Please, stay focused and follow what I'm doing. Fundamental things that we must understand in order to comprehend the book of Genesis. There are four things mentioned there. Now, in the book of Genesis, we will see a promise or the covenant. Hallelujah. Promise or a covenant. And what is that promise? You know, I believe Pastor here once told us about the blessings of Abraham. Amen. And we enumerated what the blessings of Abraham is. He's not talking about material blessings. Hallelujah. And the promise is not even Isaac. Hallelujah. Because Isaac is not the only son of, of Abraham. In fact, before Isaac, there was Ishmael. Amen. And after Isaac, Abraham had other sons. How many of them? Seven. Seven other children. Hallelujah. So the promise cannot be Isaac. Hallelujah. The promise is what concerning Christ. Amen. So another fundamental thing we see in the book of Genesis is the personalities of the promise. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hallelujah. These are characters that have been emphasized in the book of Genesis. So we must understand their, their role in the fulfillment of the promise of God. Another fundamental thing we can see in the book of Genesis is the promise itself, land. Promised land. You know, land was promised. And I can assure you that this land is not uh, in the Middle East here. Amen? If you read through the book of Hebrews, you see how the land was interpreted. 
I believe that we'll look at it later on. And then the fourth thing is the seed. Children, hallelujah. Children that has to do with not the children of Israel, not the ones in the Middle East. Amen? Because, you know, those who were promised, in fact, most of them, or almost all of them did not enter the promised land. So the promise will not be actually, you know, the land that is, 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 is in Israel. And it will not also be, you know, that he's talking about his direct descendants. He's talking about believers, you and I, that today will believe in the message concerning the promise. Hallelujah. So let's keep in mind these four fundamental things. So when we begin to read the New Testament and we begin to see these things mentioned, we'll be able to understand what it means. Hallelujah. Now the authority of doctrine and the message of, of the book of Genesis is the, the book of Moses, the book Moses wrote, Leviticus, Numbers, Exodus, you know, the authority it derives is from the first book of Genesis, from the first book rather, Genesis itself. For example, in Exodus, we'll see where Genesis is the background by which Moses wrote the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24. So, so God had their groaning and God remembered his covenant. With who? With Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. And these characters are where? Are in the book of Genesis. Hallelujah. So it's a continuation of what, of what has been established in the book of Genesis. Exodus chapter 3 verse 6. We also see it mentioned there. Genesis, Exodus 3 verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am God of your father. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. And Moses, his face. And, and Moses... He hit his face, for he was afraid to look upon, upon God. Hallelujah. So we see the mention of Abraham. We see the mention of Jacob. We see the mention of Isaac. All Genesis characters. Hallelujah. Genesis 3, Exodus 3 verse 13. It's very important to lay this foundation. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers. And where do we see fathers? Referring to Abraham, referring to who? Isaac, referring to who? Jacob. Hallelujah. When I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they said to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am, I am has sent me to you. The next verse. Moreover, God said to Moses, First, you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers. And where do we see the fathers? What was he referring to? Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob from where? From Genesis. Hallelujah. The Lord God of your fathers, the God of who? Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Verse 16. Emphasize again. Say, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. Hallelujah. Let's move to the book of Leviticus to see whether actually Genesis is also his foundation. Leviticus 26 verse 42. Then I will remember my covenant. Where do we see covenant? In Genesis. Amen. Covenant or promise is from where? It's from Genesis. With who? With Isaac. 
and my covenant with Abraham, I will remember, I will remember the land. You see the word land is mentioned here. And land can, is a promise made from where? From Genesis. Hallelujah. So the book of Leviticus also founds its foundation from where? From the book of Genesis. Book of Numbers 32 verse 11. Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see what? The land of the land of which I swore to Abraham. Mm-hmm. So what do we see here? We see land. We see Abraham. We see Isaac and Jacob. Because they have not wholly followed me. They have not wholly followed me. Hallelujah. So also the book of Numbers finds its foundation from where? From Genesis. What about Deuteronomy? Chapter 1 verse 8. I'm very intentional about elaborating these things. So that our understanding of scriptures will be grounded properly. Hallelujah. See, I have said the land. Which land? The land that was promised in Genesis. Land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. Who are the fathers? To Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. To give to them and their descendants after them. Hallelujah. Descendants after them. Amen. We see the, 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 the fundamental thing I mentioned. Children, right? Descendants of these people. Hallelujah. Read again chapter 6 verse 10. Chapter 6 verse 10. Chapter 6 verse 10. The same Deuteronomy. Chapter 6 verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Hallelujah. So the Bible is about a promise. Amen? It's about what? A message. About the promise of God to mankind. Hallelujah. So, if you want to use the Bible for another thing, you can easily use it for anything you want. But the Bible has a peculiar message. Amen. And then we can go through the entire Deuteronomy. We could see many, many, you know, mention of the realities that were actually penned down in Genesis. Let's look at some teachings, some examples that Paul made in his teachings. Romans chapter 1 verse 1 to 4. Now we are coming to the New Testament to see, right? Some teachings that Paul taught. He said, Paul, a born servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he what? Do we see promise? Amen? He promised before through who through his prophets in what in the holy scriptures so paul is teaching or is speaking about a promise that was made in the holy scriptures by the prophets from the old testament scriptures hallelujah verse 3 concerning his son jesus christ our lord who was born of the seed of who another Old Testament character, David, according to the flesh, verse 4, and declared to be the son of God with the power, with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, amen, sin entered. That is where? Genesis chapter what? Eh? 3. Somebody is saying four. Genesis chapter three, right? 
This is the background of this, this chapter. It says, therefore, as through one man, Adam, right? Sin entered the world, and death through sin, and first death spread to all men because all sinned. The background is Genesis. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 18. He is the image of the invisible God. Talking about who? Christ. And this is referring to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 and 28. Hallelujah. He is what? The invisible image of God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created. Where was creation mentioned in the scriptures? Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, right? For by him, all things were created that are in the heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So all things were created by him, through him and for him. And he is before all things. Before all things is referring to Genesis chapter 1. Hallelujah. He is before all things and in him all things consist. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. The beginning refers to Genesis. Hallelujah. He is what? The beginning. Whenever we see beginning, 99 times is referring to the book of Genesis. Hallelujah. Who is what? The beginning. Who is the beginning? The firstborn from the death. That is in all things he may have the preeminence. Hallelujah. And we can read Hebrews 1 verse 2, Hebrews 4 verse 3, and many, many teachings in the, uh, in the, in the New Testament, always having their background from the writings of the all prophets in the Old Testament. So kindly know that we are discussing what? Setting the mind on the things of the spirit. For us to understand that what the mind is, the mind of man is, it is also very important that we examine the nature of man. Hallelujah. We need to understand man, the way God created man. To understand the nature of man, it is important as well to go to the beginning of all things to understand man, the man that God created from the beginning. Amen? It is important for us to go back to Genesis as well to understand what kind of man did God create? What kind of mind did that man have? And what happened to the mind of man? Hallelujah. The nature of man. Let's look at the nature of man. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. That's the first place it was. Man was mentioned, right? Genesis 1 26, 27. I will be using the King James Version, not the New King James. King James Version. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his, in his own image. In the image of God created he, him, male, female, he created them. Hallelujah. Now, my orthodox understanding of this verse is that God created man in his image. And in chapter 3, man sinned. And when man sinned, he lost that image that God created him in. Hallelujah. 
I have understood it this way. I was taught this way. I have taught this way. I have taught, I have teach people this way. I have discipled people this way. I have wrote articles this way. When my eyes was opened to this reality, I began to ask questions. I said, okay, if God truly made man to have dominion, how comes man lost dominion? The man that was created, was he really, really in charge? Hallelujah. Was he really expressing dominion as God? Hallelujah. So we're going to ask, we're going to answer this question. We're going to answer this question later. Amen. Now, the scriptures is written in the light of Christ. I mean, the storyline of the Bible is Christ. Hallelujah. For, ex- for example, Luke chapter 24, verse 25. We know the scriptures always. We read it here. Luke 24, 25. We'll see how Jesus Christ began teaching the Bible. Then he said to them, All foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. And this is referring to the Old Testament text, right? Verse 27. And beginning at Moses. What is Moses? Help me please. What is Moses? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy and what? So Jesus Christ began to teach from the book of Genesis. The five books. That is Moses. And all the prophets. He taught all the prophets. He expounded. He explained to them in all scriptures. And when he means all scriptures, what is he referring to? Genesis to where? To Malachi. Hallelujah. Because the book of Matthew was not written that time, right? So, he explained to them from Genesis to Malachi the things concerning himself. So, the Bible is concerning who? It's concerning Christ. Hallelujah. He taught them things concerning himself. Verse 44 to 45, quickly. Jump to verse 44, 45. Verse 44, 45. Yes. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with you, still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. Right? First five books. And the prophets and the Psalms concerning who? Concerning me. And he opened their minds to understand. Their understanding rather, that they might comprehend the scriptures. Genesis to Malachi. Hallelujah. Now that means from Genesis through to Malachi, each writer of the Bible was writing about Christ. The focus of, you know, Christ is the gospel. Hallelujah. What is the gospel about? What about the gospel, right? We see in several letters, you know, Paul letters to Timothy, you know, he explained the sufferings of Jesus Christ and the glory that follows. First Peter chapter 1, verse 9 to 12. Now, if this is the case, our reading of the Old Testament scriptures, starting from Genesis, will not just be from historical point of view. As I said earlier on, it's not meant for, it's not a history book. Because the writers and the authors didn't focus on history. That, that's not the focus of the Bible. Even though, of course, history is, is, is recorded, hallelujah. But that is not the reason for it. They were largely speaking about the death and the resurrection of Christ, they were prophesying it, they were preaching about it. Hallelujah. Now that means you must approach this text with the focus of the mindset of those who wrote it. 
So when you come to the book of Genesis, you must come in with the mind of seeing Christ because that is a purpose. If you open any book of the prophets, you must come with a mind because the authors have something in mind. Hallelujah. It would be unfair for you to write a book and someone reads the book and gives the interpretation the way he wants it to be interpreted. Somebody will say, oh, you know, there are different ways we can interpret the Bible. No, there's only one way you can interpret the Bible. The Bible does not mean something else to me and it means a different thing to you. Then God will be confused. Hallelujah. There's a particular message the Bible is talking about. And that message is the same message in America. It's the same message in Nigeria. It's the same message in Rwanda. It's the same message in Liberia. It's the same message in all over the world. One single message, specific message that must be comprehended by every individual. Hallelujah. Now, for example, now, Let's, let's, let's look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 14. When man failed, right? And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and you and thou shalt bruise his heel. Hallelujah. Now, this particularly is a prophecy concerning Christ and the judgment that God has met, right? Concerning the devil. Hallelujah. Now, if Genesis 3 is like this, the fact of the gospel must be seen from this, the first chapter. Hallelujah. From this very chapter, from in fact, from the first chapter of Genesis. Now, let's examine John chapter 1, verse 26. I'm laying this foundation so that we can better comprehend Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And God said, let us make man carefully and slowly. God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now move back to chapter, verse 27. Verse 27. 26, rather. You see a phrase here. It says, let us, Right? Then he said, let us. Speaks of an intention. Hallelujah. The let us there is meaning that it's an intention that God wants to achieve, right? Let us means you have not done it yet, but you are planning to do what to do it. Isn't it? It's what you are intended. So it speaks of an intention. God is stating his plan for man. Isn't it? Man in verse 26 refers to humanity. Hallelujah. Therefore, in God's plan, God wants to make humanity in his image. That image will be what will make him have dominion. Unless this man has this image of God in him, he cannot express dominion. Hallelujah. So let's... We can ask two questions here. What is then the image of God? Hallelujah. What then is the image of God? Secondly, we can also ask, as I said earlier on, the first man, when he was created, was he created in the image of God? 
Now, let's answer this question together. Let's begin from the, from the first one I answered earlier on, whether this man is created in the image of God. Genesis 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Now, we are moving to chapter 2 now, right? And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life, and man became the image of God. What did the man become? The man became living soul. Hallelujah. Now, that's where the mind is actually. We'll look at it later on. Hallelujah. Man became what? A living soul. Hallelujah. Now, we see here in this passage that when God made the first man, he only became a living soul, not the image of God. Amen? Because as till, up till now, let us make man is still what? In Genesis 27 was still an intention. Hallelujah. But here in chapter 2, the man is not yet the image of That means that Genesis 1, 26 to 28 hasn't happened in the first man. This brings before that, uh, yes, this brings to, to, to us that man created by God doesn't mean that man, that man we're talking about in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, doesn't mean that he is in the image of God. So we ask the question then, how do man come into the image of God? Hallelujah. If we are saying, or if we are looking at it, scripture we don't impute things from elsewhere right as the scripture is explaining it man became a living soul right and we are agreeing that this man is not in the image of god so how does man became becomes or have became the image of god becomes the image of god comes into the image of god so genesis chapter 5 verse 3 James chapter 5 verse 3. We'll continue. James chapter 5 verse 3. And Adam lived an hundred and thirty years and begot a son in his own image, in his own likeness, right? After his image and called his name who? Seth. Adam bore a son in, the, in, his, in whose image? His own likeness, in his own image. Not that of God. Hallelujah. Not the image of God. So, no image of God is seen yet. Why? Because Genesis chapter 2, I mean, no image of God was seen in chapter 5 verse 3 because of the fall that happened in Genesis chapter 3. Now, let's look at chapter 2 again. Let's go back to chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord, the, the, made, made the Lord, God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Hallelujah. Now it's easy to say, oh, there are many trees here, right? But let me check from this verse. Um, verse 9. In the old King James, I think it's semicolon. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Then semicolon. What does semicolon mean? I don't know. I don't know English very well. It's explanatory, right? Trying to explain what this every, right? So the explanation will be that this every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food will mean the tree of life. Also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which means that there are two trees here. Do you understand the explanation I did here? Hallelujah. So, 
There are just two trees here. Hallelujah. Then Genesis 2, 16, 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of a tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat. For, for in the day that thou mayest eat it, thereof thou shalt surely die. So if there are only two trees, God gave an instruction not to eat of the one and to eat of the another. The tree of life leads to what? Leads to life. Hallelujah. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil will lead to what? Will lead to death. Not life. To death. Hallelujah. It is important to note here that the mode of communication here that Moses was using was trying to communicate the plan and the purpose of God. He adopted a figure of speech. Amen? You've heard us mention here that, you know, man did not actually eat any fruit and he became sinful. Hallelujah. We've been taught from school when we were growing up that we ate fruit and they even say it was apple. And when man ate apple, he became sinful. But this is a figure of speech Moses used in communicating God's plan. Using explaining what actually happened to communicate God's promise of life to the world and the consequence of not choosing life, which is death. Since it is an allegory, we must ask, what did Moses mean by eat of? He said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what does it mean to eat? And understanding what it means to eat will help us to understand what that verse of that uh, allegory Moses used. So first of all, what does it mean to eat of? Let's go to the New Testament in order to interpret that. Jesus gave us, you know, an understanding of it in Matthew chapter 15, verse 16 to 20. Matthew 16, Matthew 15 rather. Matthew 15, verse 16 to 20. Quickly. So Jesus said, Are you also without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? Where? In that place. Right? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. So it's not what a man eats that makes him sinful. Are we together? It is what comes out of the heart that makes a man sinful. So you cannot say Adam ate fruit and he became sinful. Hallelujah. Should we continue? Alright. Verse 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Verse 20. These are the things which defile the man. But, not, but to eat with unwashed hands or does not defile a man. You know, here they were talking about cleansing ceremonial stuff like that. Hallelujah. So Jesus explains that whatever a man eats enters his belly and goes into the toilet later on. Jesus will, will, will explain further that eating does not defile a man. Hallelujah. However, what defiles a man is what proceeds from his mouth, which comes from his heart. This explanation takes down the idea that Adam ate a fruit. And eating the fruit sin against God. Remember, Moses was connoting something spiritual. Hallelujah. Moses was making reference to something that is spiritual, not something physical. Remember that Moses will be presenting God's plan in his own writings because the Bible is a message concerning the promise and the plan of God for humanity. Hallelujah. 
Now let's move. Let's see another one in John. John chapter 6, verse 32, 33. John chapter 6, verse 32, 33. We are trying to explain what it means to eat off. Right? Then said to them, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Hallelujah. 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So who is that bread of life that comes from heaven and gives life to the world? Jesus. Hallelujah. So bread and manna and all those things are figure of what? A figure of speech is an allegory representing who? Christ. Are we together? Jesus explains that he is the true bread. He is the true bread. Through here does not mean that there is a fake bread. It means he is the perfect bread. He is the pure bread. He is the perfect bread. Hallelujah. John chapter 6. Let's move on to 35. 35 to 36. 35. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. You see, he's very direct. I am what? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. How can you believe and never thirst? How can you come to him and never hunger? Is he talking about physical hunger? Is he talking about physical thirst? A word is introduced here, believes. Hallelujah. Take note of it. Amen. Verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Hallelujah. So Jesus explained here that he is the true bread and anyone that eats out of his true, of this true bread will never hunger. Right? In verse 35 and 36, he introduced the word believe. The person who believes in him shall never hunger. Now let's move to chapter 6 verse 40. Same John 6 verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. He used the word believe again to explain that, that anyone that believes will receive everlasting life. 47, verse 47, verse 47, same John 6, 47. Read 47 to 48, yes. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Hallelujah. 48. I am the bread of life. Believe. So if you believe, you have everlasting life. If and then Jesus Himself is what is the bread that must be eaten. Hallelujah. So that one will not hunger again. Verse 50. This is the bread which comes down from where? From heaven. That one may eat of it and not die. Hallelujah. That one may eat of it and not what? And not die. Right? The man who eats of this bread will have everlasting life. 51. I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread. So Jesus is now saying that you should eat him. Literally, right? If you are reading it literally, that's what he's saying. I am the bread. I came down from heaven. So if you eat me, you will not be what? So is he calling us to kill him and eat his flesh? Amen? I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give 
is my word, is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So did Jesus call us to look for his meat, his flesh to eat so that we can have, we can have everlasting life. Is that what it means? Hallelujah. Verse 52. We'll see where controversy came in. The Jews therefore quarrel among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? How can this man say he will give us his flesh to eat? Are we are we carnivores, right? Cannibals, okay. Carnivorous species. This first got it all wrong. They thought Jesus was talking about eating his flesh. But this way, what figure of speech? So the Bible must rightly be divided. Hallelujah. It means that the Bible must rightly be understood in order to comprehend and apply the truth. Hallelujah. So they were confused. Now let's go further. 53 to 58. Let's go further. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, he added blood again, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is what? <laughs> is food indeed. And my blood is what? So how many of us have eaten the flesh of Jesus? How many of us have the life of Christ in us? How many of us have eaten the flesh of Christ? How many of us drank of the blood? Hallelujah. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Is he talking about somebody here? Huh? Abides in me and I in where? In him. Verse 57. And as, as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Hallelujah. 58. As is the bread which comes down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna. So what the fathers ate is a typology of what will be fulfilled in Christ. Is a figure of speech. So we are, we are, we are using, we are looking at what, how Jesus interpreted the Old Testament here. Are we together? Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. Hallelujah. So in verse 56, it speaks of identification, right? The man that eats is identified with Christ. He further explained in verse 58, as we see here, that the man that eats of the living bread, Jesus, that's Jesus, will live forever. This is eternal life which is found in Christ. Hallelujah. So, what is it in Genesis chapter 3? I didn't say it's belief. You say believe, right? Let's see, it. Let's see it in the scriptures. John chapter 6 verse 61. Continuation. 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained, even them they were complaining, how can this? You know, he complained about it. He said to them, does, does this offend you? I mean, the crowd were complaining. Even his disciples said, ah, Jesus, ah, what kind of a thing is this? How can you say we should eat your flesh, eat, drink your blood? Ah, you know, and they were complaining. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? 
It is a spirit who what? Who gives lives. The flesh. Which flesh are we talking about? The flesh profitable nothing. So he's just saying, I'm not talking about physical flesh. Because flesh does not give life. It is a spirit that gives life. Hallelujah. The words that I speak to you are what? They are spirit and they are life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. Who have not eaten. There are some of you who, who, have not, who, who, who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who will betray him. Amen? Many of them did not believe. Jesus will explain that eating his flesh and drinking his blood is believing in him. Believing in him. That is how we come to receive eternal life. Hallelujah. So believing in him, believing in him is in his works. So since the scripture teaches it has, you know, regard to believing, Moses also in his writing in Genesis chapter 2 will, will use it to refer to what? To believing. Hallelujah. Do you understand? Is it understood? Good. So what was Adam to believe? We will now ask. What was Adam to believe? He was to believe in God's plan for man. The promise of life. Adam believing in that will come into God's image. Hallelujah. God's image is based on his life. But sadly, Adam didn't believe. He rejected God's promise and was found in death another image. This is rejection. So him eating means unbelief. Refusing to eat rather means what? Unbelief. Or eating another fruit is unbelief. Amen? He disobeyed. He chose not to believe what God said. Hallelujah. That means God's image is, is, is come into by faith. God's image is come into by faith. What is the image? What is that image? Paul explains Moses for us in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. Whose mind the gods of this age has blinded, who do not believe, right? Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the what? Who is the image of God should shine on them. Who is the image of God here? Talking about Christ as being the image of God. Paul calls Jesus Christ what? The image of God. Colossians 1 verse 14, 15. Colossians 1, 14, 15. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of what? Of sins. He is the image of who? Of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Now, where was the firstborn mentioned? Genesis 1, 26. Hallelujah. Before all creation, because in Genesis 1, no creation was made. Like, man was not created, right? In Genesis 2, we saw it, right? He's a firstborn over all creation. Hallelujah. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Now, let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews 1, verse 2. Hebrews 1, verse 2 and 3. Has in this now let's read from verse one. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by prophets, hallelujah, has in these last days spoken to us by who? By his son, whom he had has appointed 
heir of all things, through whom also he met the worlds. That is Genesis, right? Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hallelujah. So Jesus is what? is the express image of the person of God. Hence, when God said, let us make man in our image and likeness, God was stating his intention for man to be formed or to be found in Christ, his son, the image of God. God's plan was for man to be his image, to be in Christ. That is, God wanted man to have everlasting life. Hallelujah. That was the plan of God from the beginning. What was presented to Adam for him to believe was the gospel message. Hallelujah. Abraham was present, Adam rather was presented the gospel message, which is the life of God that is typified by what? By the tree of life in Genesis. But we see here that Adam, on the other hand, showed unbelief towards the message. He showed unbelief to the message that was preached. Therefore, the tree of life was a figurative expression or explanation of God's plan of life in Christ. For man of which Adam rejected as an act of his will. Hallelujah. So man was already created with a will. Hallelujah. I think subsequently we'll look at man being a spirit that have a soul and lives in a physical body. We're going to explain that later on. Hallelujah. So man exercised that will because God created him in chapter 2 and breathed into him and he became a living soul. Hallelujah. So he has the ability to make choice. Whether to accept the image of God that was presented to him or to reject it. Hallelujah. Adam disbelieved God. Adam's sin was unbelief in, the, in what God told him, not a behavioral misconduct. Not that he, he ate the fruit and then he, you know, he rejected life. That is a tree of life. To not eat of the tree of life is to reject what God said. His offering of life to Adam. Hence, Genesis 1, 26 to 28 didn't come to pass in the life of this Adam that was created in Genesis 2. So, did God ever fulfill that promise? Did God fulfill the promise of man, you know, becoming his image? If you have to ask, yes, it was fulfilled. How was it fulfilled? After man failed, God became a man. In Jesus Christ. Paul calls him the last Adam and the second Adam. Hallelujah. John chapter 1 verse 14. Let's look at how God became, became man. John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father. Full of grace and truth. So God became man in order to save men. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, 45 to 47. 1 Corinthians 15, 45 to 47. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. He became a living being. That was how it was written. He became a living soul, right? God breathed into him. He became a living being. The last Adam became a what? A life-giving spirit. Hallelujah. However, the spiritual is not what? It's not first, right? 
but the natural and afterward the spiritual. Oh, time. I could have explained what this means, but let's move on. Paul says, the last Adam, he is a quickening spirit. He is a law from heaven. That means he's been the la- he being the last Adam, he will give a new kind of humanity. One in which anyone who believes takes on the image of God. The image of the Son of God. Hallelujah. So we look at how Paul also put it in Romans chapter 5 verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. God is righteous. Hallelujah. So by the obedience of one we became the likeness of God, the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. We became righteous as God is because of the obedience of, of Jesus Christ. So the obedience of Christ, yeah. First, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and 28 is fulfilled where? In Christ. Hallelujah. The last Adam, the one who has, who, that gives us his nature by faith from where we walk in dominion. Amen? So when we are talking about dominion, what are we referring to? We are referring to the life that is way that is in Christ. Hallelujah. So Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 is talking about us being found in Christ. A man who will believe in Jesus Christ is a man that will have dominion. Amen? Is that man that will live in the image and the likeness of God. So if you are here and you believe in this message, it means that you, have the Im- you are the image of God. Hallelujah. It means that you have the character of God. It means that you are the righteousness of God. It means that what? That you are in the likeness and the image of God. The male and the female in Genesis now will be male and female in Christ. Genesis 1, 26, 27. Let me read it again and 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. So I say that the male and the female will now mean the male and the female in Christ. Hallelujah. Say, I am in Christ. I am in Christ. I am in Christ. So humanity is where? In Christ. In the last Adam, the new creation. Today and forever. Found in God's glorious image and likeness. So when you believe this message, you come into oneness with God. You come into union with God. And when you don't believe this message, it means that you don't have this image of God in you. It means that you are not and will not be in the image and the likeness of God. It means that you are condemned. It means that you are judged already. It means that you disbelieve. Just as the first Adam disbelieved the message. Hallelujah. Next week we're going to look at, you know, the new birth. How the new birth occurred so that we can better understand it. And also preach it as well. When you don't believe, what you do is that you reject the message of life. You reject the offer of life. You reject the offer of eternal life. When you believe in all that Christ has done, it means that you accepted life. And that life is an eternal life. It's not a life that will start and end, but it is an eternal life. 
So if you are here and then, you know, this is not your reality. I want to give you the opportunity. Hallelujah. To think over your life. Have you come to faith? Have you come to understand and appreciate this truth, this light? Or you choose to wallow in disbelief and in, in, in disloyalty, in disapproval of the offer of the free life that Christ has given us. If you are here and then you've received this life, it means that you are no longer in the flesh. Hallelujah. So if you are no longer in the flesh, it therefore means that you can set your minds on the things that are above. Hallelujah. You're going to look at the things that are above as well. It means that you are in the spirit. Your address and your location is in the spirit. Therefore, you don't need to set your minds on things that are earthly, things that are earthly, things that are on the earth. Things that are natural should not be our focus, but things that are eternal. Say, Lord, I set my eyes on the things that are above. I set my minds on the things that are above. I'm giving to the things that are above. I gave myself to the life of the spirit. I give myself to the life of the spirit. Pray, 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 pray these words. Pray these words. I surrender myself to the life of the spirit. The Bible says that we should what? We should walk in the spirit. Live in the spirit and we will not gratify the desires of the flesh.